You're listening to the Market Expert Show. I'm Daryl Baskin of EXP Realty on your home for success, 105.7. The Tulsa Development Authority, what is it? How does it work? We've in the past talked about some history, but what is it today? Ashley Harris Phillipson, uh, Ashley, you are with the Tulsa Development Authority and also co-chair of the Kirkpatrick Heights area, which is between Brady Heights and the OSU campus in Tulsa and also uh, Greenwood Master Plan Leadership Committee. So you have a lot of information about how all this works and, and what's brewing. Tell us about the TDA. Yes, so Tulsa Development Authority, I'm the vice chair on the Tulsa Development Authority. This is my, I'm gonna say third year. Um, I was appointed by Mayor Bynum. And the role is for us to use private and public resources to fund programs and projects that help neighborhoods and commercial centers. And I don't know where your listeners were in 2019, but for example, there was a notice posted about needing to revisit the sector plan for the Unity Heritage neighborhoods. And that's north of downtown to Pine Street for uh, for listeners who are familiar with Tulsa. So 244 to Pine and then the Tisdale Highway over to Peoria. And it set the community in an uproar because people thought that the Tulsa Development Authority was was going to come and seize their homes. It was it was not a well thought out approach, and it did not involve community. That is how I initially got involved with Tulsa Development Authority. Mayor Bynum put uh, people's fears to rest and said, "We will not, you know, use eminent domain. We need to revisit this." We combined a group of community members to talk about what are solutions to develop the area. And I would say that was a turning point with Tulsa Development Authority, which has worked in the last couple of years to really rebuild trust with community members, to create processes that involve proximate residents before, during, and after a process. Now, have we got it, gotten it right and mastered it? And you know, we've got our gold star. No, I would say it's a work in progress, but we have the support of Mayor Bynum. We have the support of the staff to bring community members along. For example, We have lots of properties to dispose of. People come to Tulsa Development Authority and say, hey, I want to build, you know, four homes or 14 homes. May I get this property at a cost? And it's a benefit to developers to come uh, to Tulsa Development Authority. We, instead of just saying, you know, you came to us first, we'll give it to you. We've put out a couple of RFPs for sizable plots of land to allow multiple people at BATS to do a great project that benefits the community. Uh, we're trying to be more intentional about incentives and uh, really partnering with developers and partnering with communities that they'll they'll impact. So I would say the biggest shift has been how are our processes making up for you know historic urban renewal missteps that might displace residents, that might you know set off a chain of events that you know hastens gentrification, and how do we really think about comprehensive development? from a a citywide view and not just, you know, this disparate plots of land and how does this actually promote prosperity and wealth building for an an entire neighborhood, for example. Why I continue to volunteer with the Tulsa Development Authority because of that shift. Talking to Ashley Harris Phillipson with Tulsa Development Authority about uh, redevelopment and you bring up the word gentrification and that's sometimes a hot topic and I don't always understand why. I, I I kind of understand because you don't want to displace people who are struggling with with housing and places to live, but even those places weren't always run down, poorly maintained areas that at some point 
a neighborhood reaches uh, the end of its economic life cycle, and it has to have a new development. That doesn't mean teardown. It means bringing in new lumber, new roofs, new porches, uh, redoing masonry exteriors. I mean, it just reaches the end of its cycle. But that's a painful process because you have people who can't afford to live in the remodeled half-million-dollar stuff, and it creates a problem. It, it's, a, it's a conflict. How is that being resolved, and what would you say about that very general statement I just made? Yes, that's a very good point. I have a, a neighbor who um, develops homes, and we, we kind of have healthy sparring over the word gentrification um, and what's the difference between gentrification and revitalization. In short, when I say gentrification, I mean, you know, when a neighborhood shifts so much that not only do we see the, the change in uh, class uh, and culture, but that becomes so thick that there's no room for current residents to be there. They can't afford to be there. They're not welcome there. For example, you know, what is that? Next door app is a great case study in places where people move to historically, you know, black or Latinx or immigrant communities. And then somebody walking down the street, you know, all of a sudden looks suspicious. That's a very small example, but it's an imp imposing certain values on a neighborhood that's already been in existence is one. And then, of course, pricing people out. What I think about our locus of control is mixed mixed income development. So if you look at the Kirkpatrick Heights Greenwood RFP, we've asked the consultants to help us see how we might use incremental development to create access points for different people. If you, if you need affordable housing or if you want market rate or workforce housing, a development can include that. We don't want, you know, a Levittown, for example, where it's all in, you know, the same income level. We see rich, vibrant neighborhoods that allow for the barista to, to be able to get an apartment and the, the family to be able to get a house and the empty nesters who might want a condo. There's beauty in that being in one place and not having to be segregated. And I know that that I'm going to stop there to, to clarify. Does that answer the question or it actually, go it actually does. I'm, I'm trying to bring more color to that because we, we tend to define or we hear a word such as mm -hmm. I mentioned this kind of chuckling. You said urban renewal and I, I just think of a bulldozer. I mean, historically, yeah. that's what what uh, may be associated with that. But that's not necessarily what no. it means. And we get the same with gentrification. And then you, you throw in the word revitalization. We, we have to, to be able to have those discussions to move things along and create mm -hmm. progress because ultimately, if not, you bring up Levittown, which is a great national example of, of national uh, segregation through housing. By the way, if you're a listener, research that. It's, it's really yes. a, an amazing story and lesson in history. With gentrification, we've got to keep our neighborhoods good and strong. Otherwise, we end up with city blight and white right. flight and all of these other things that uh, are really harmful to you. You may think you're getting a nicer house somewhere else or... No, it's good management, Daryl, and it's helpful to suspend an either-or approach and think of a both-and approach where communities and cities bring different groups to the table to identify, you know, what is our shared interest to ensure development equips our entire community and doesn't leave anyone behind. And we can learn from models in other cities to see how this has been done. Ashley Harris, Harris Phillipson with the Tulsa Development Authority. Ashley, we'll talk some more. Thank you. You're listening to the Market Experts Show with EXP Realty. I'm Daryl Baskin.